The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by a AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the newest episode of the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. That is where we get together and talk about everything going on out here in the life and the world out here in these streets. In these cold, cold, cold streets. And they a little frosty for springtime. Man. <laughs> bringing you episode number 80. Pop, pop, pop. Told y'all we're coming for 100. Yep, episode 80 is always like to highlight a great moment in black excellence where we get control of our own narrative and highlight the folks that I think that we need to give their just due and give their moment of reflection and a moment to shine. A moment of black excellence, which you mean, Morse. This episode number 80 dedicated to a brother, he's passed. Okay, again. Uh, you know, we gotta, gotta highlight the ancestors as well as the contemporaries. Uh, and so he was born in 1939. He was born in D.C. He was the son of a minister. And at the young age of four, like you hear a lot of times about musicians and performers, he, he started off singing in the church. Uh, as a child, he had a, a tumultuous relationship with his father. Like he was always, his father was like, was a very abusive man to his mother as well as to him. And all through the time of his, his childhood and growing up into his teens, uh, he kind of used music as his refuge. Like he said you know, a couple times that if not for uh, his mother's support and for singing, uh, he would have taken his own life as a teenager. Uh -huh. Like de his depression was really high and the constant abuse at the hands of his father was something that just really, really got to him. So at the age of 17, he dropped out of high school to join the military. Uh, and so he joined the Air Force, but he wasn't about that life. So all the, the menial tasks they had him doing, you know, all that extra work and people being shouted at him. He actually faked a mental illness to get released, to get discharged early from the military. Like he just went about that. So uh, music being what his calling was, he had actually uh, linked up with a, another late grade, a brother, Bo Diddley. And he was uh, working with him, uh, touring a bunch of different clubs, meet a bunch of different people. He actually then uh, got in contact with the uh, great Barry Gordy and he started working as a drummer. With the uh, the Miracles, uh, Smokey Robinson's group, the Marvelettes, as well as Jimmy Reed, uh, and that grew onto a relationship with Barry Gordy, to where he was involved in creating some of the uh, most timeless and, and, and great songs in in history, from uh, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" to "I Heard It Through the Grapevine," "What's Going On," uh -huh. "Sexual Healing." Uh, "Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing," "Let's Get It On," "How Sweet It Is," like he was a he was, he was a genius man whose life was cut short at the hands of his father when he tried to interrupt a fight between his mother and his father. His father shot in point blank range in the heart, and, and then he had passed. His father uh, went to prison. His uh, first-degree murder sentence was dropped to voluntary manslaughter. He ultimately died of a brain tumor in, huh. uh, in 1998. But uh, this man was, was a genius who, who was ahead of his time, uh, the real king of R&B. Good little noise one time. Rest in peace. The late, great Mr. Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Let's get it on. Yeah, there's a couple videos floating around where they hear him doing um, I Heard It Through the Grapevine acapella before a performance where you hear just his vocal range and pitch perfect sound, like just singing so passionately from the heart and stuff. Like, like I mean, he was special. Yeah. Like, like that brother was special. And 
you know, just the abuse that was going on in that household that, that he was his his light was cut short at the hands of his own father. That's crazy, yo. You know, uh, and so you know that that domestic stuff is serious. You yeah, know, that it's abuse. De- I mean, abuse back then um, and abuse right now is something real. You know, you 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 think about all the stuff that's going on. I mean, I just got done doing a Survivor Speaks and thinking about the abuse that uh, folks have had to deal with and the healing piece. And uh, how many so many, how how many artists that we've known have lost their lives due to gun violence, right? Yeah, Sam Cooke. You know, Marvin Gaye, of course, you know, the legendary Tupac, Biggie, Mac Dre, Jacka. It's just like the yeah. list, the list. Now you can add Nipsey Hussle to that for some of the hip hop heads, the big L's. Like, there's been a lot of artists, you know, uh, John Lennon. You know what I yeah. mean? There's been a lot of artists that and have died don't discriminate. Uh, due to gun violence. And it's an unfortunate thing because you think that. Once they become famous, that these things that for the noble folks, right, we have to deal with that they would be exempt. But the reality is they're more as a target than we would ever imagine for them being uh, so highly uh, touted in their profession. And so many folks kind of like, you know gunning for them but the simple fact that his father did it has always stripped me out i remember yeah. when i uh what did it what's the day that happened again it was uh uh the first or the second like he was 83 82 oh, year 84? uh three i believe 83 yeah 83 had me up in here lying uh 84 84 april right? 1st 1984 um, he was his birthday was april 2nd he was killed april 1st i remember watching that on good morning america and just tripping out like yo marvin k Right. I was like, that is crazy. But these are the life and times of artists like Marvin Gaye. That's so legendary, so misunderstood and so ahead of his time. When you talk about black excellence, uh, that's the epitome. And as you say, the R&B king, that dude was an originator. And there has been no one that's been able to duplicate, duplicate what he's done. There have been people that have tried to mirror his styles. But duplicate what he's done? Nah, not even close. Yeah, and that whole just the 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 history of abuse that he grew up under, the depression he had as a as a teen. He said he said if it wasn't for you know his mom making always double backing, you know making sure he was okay after his father went on some tirade where he was you know punching holes in walls or or trying to punch a hole through him. You know, his, he said his mother's love and, and an ability to express himself through music. He said he would have taken his own life. And uh, I think we, you know, the stuff we have to look at. Something uh, Charlemagne the God had said. He said we have a we have a, a culture. We have this history of passing off trauma as culture. You I know, believe that that we we have these things that we go through that we just kind of charge to the game. That oh, that's what it's like. You know, that's just. That's just a man, you know, express. That's a man being a man. Yeah. Or that's just this or that. Or that's, you know, we passing off trauma as culture. Like the way that we, you know, you're not supposed to deal with, you know, alcoholics, you know, beating on kids in the household. You're not supposed to deal with mom being thrown across the room. You're it's not, normalized. Yeah, you're not supposed to deal with, you know, uh, the, all the stuff that we, we pass off. As I said, it's like just a degree of culture or the norm. 
uh, and and we have a lot of um, sicknesses that need to be addressed in the community. So we're gonna go. This is gonna be a sad podcast. I see. We're going. No, 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 no. I mean, I think that I talk about some happy stuff before we go deep into yeah, the. I, well, to the. I think it's yin and yang. I think that yeah. it, just as much as we address. Yo. And I apologize because I am dying. I'm being murdered, like killing me softly for real without Lauren Hill when it comes down to my allergies. Oh, as you can see, you can see it, but these people can't see it. My eyes is all red. I got the, the Kleenex right here by me. You know, gave me some halls. I probably need a re repeat of that. I hate this season, man. Literally cannot stand this season. Only <laughs> I, I promise you, like it just goes to another atmosphere where I feel like I'm a tweaker because I'm I'm having tissue in my nose. My nose is constantly running. I have these allergy attacks. Uh, no real medicine, and I've told folks if you have remedies, let me know. Let me know that real truth remedy. I don't want no behind the counter. I want that truth remedy. I want that remedy, that natural remedy. Let me know because I need it. I know I'm going to go get my honey supply yeah. to go get right. Um, hopefully, I can stay consistent with that. After a while, I just be doing ginger it. Ginger root and, nah, and all that my stuff. Ginger, everything, man. This is crazy. Uh, besides that, shots out to my brother, Keith the Sneak. Uh, he's supposed to be turning himself in in a, in a few days or shoot shortly. But hopefully, we can kind of reverse that. Um uh, I have to say thank you for everybody that showed up because our grand opening for um, Hidden Gems Thrift Store, my uh, business partner, me and Passion P, we launched our grand opening for our black-owned thrift store, a Hidden Gems Thrift Store on 2245 Florin Road, Suite 12. It popped off. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a great experience. I had like five other events at the same time, but we popped that off. We did great. Better than expected on that first grand opening day. And, of course, the love has continued to pile in. So we're officially open. Um, we're still kind of navigating with the times. It'll be open at 11, 11 to 7 on Tuesdays and Fridays. And then Saturdays, it will be open at 11, um, I want to say 12 to 7. But don't get me to lie. But for sure, 12 to um, 6 on Sunday and Monday were closed, but we are officially up and running. That was like my phase five. So my phase five is complete. Y'all don't really understand what my phase is, but my phases are all this game plan of my master plan of what I've been building. Phase five has been set. It's been accomplished. Now we need to continue to build. We need y'all to support because it is about us supporting each other because it is all on us. My happy, my happy conversation. Before oh, no. you take me to a dark place. I oh, know we was gonna circle back around. I was actually gonna, yeah, I was gonna, set, yeah. I was gonna set you up with, with, oh, with stuff. Oh man, I don't know, brother. You got the stuff that we were talking about hours before was like, well, this is about to be a grim conversation, and I don't nah. know if I can handle a grim conversation the way I'm feeling right now. No, nah, no, nah, nah, I I appreciate that. Not grim. I think that when we look at stuff that that we go through, and part of what I was addressing, like uh, is culture. And so there's some stuff that we pass off as culture that people aren't supposed to deal with. And there are, there are some things that we should. And entrepreneurship and, and ownership, and, and much like what yourself and, and Passion are doing with the uh, Hidden Gems Thrift Store, that is something that needs to be worked into the culture conversation like we pass off some of this trauma stuff. Yeah. Like when we say all these bad things that go on our culture, there's some other things that we need to start interjecting. You know, the, the striving to consistently learn, the applying the knowledge that we get. Don't just go to college and get a degree because going to college is 
quote unquote, making it, but being able to take the information you get and coming back and doing something with it. The buy the block mentality, the, you know, said, you know, the ownership, the entrepreneurship, the, the having the legacy to pass down, working all that into the conversation of culture, just like we try to work some of this trauma BS that's not that shouldn't be worked in. Yeah. So I was coming back to positive. <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah. circling. I was circling around. I was circling around because I wanted to set up to to the thrift store because uh, first off, I want to say congratulations I appreciate on, on, on getting it off the ground. And then I know you, you have to talk about it. it's been a, a process of getting it open. And so for you, I know you, you talk Bill Black and talk ownership all yeah. the time. So where does entrepreneurship? How much of your childhood is was that instilled by the culture of your household or is that something that you picked up later? Um, no, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, reality, no, um, we never talked about it, but I can sit there and say that my auntie, um, she was always about it, Okay. but, um, we never talked about it. I don't, I don't think that was one of the things that, um, was something brought up at the dinner table. The unfortunate part about, I feel like what my father was really trying to extend to us was working getting a good education was kind of like the standard you know um being accepted by the white class of america i mean we're haitian so here my family is immigrants coming to this country um some of our family members have been here before but here we are and me being born in new york and, and, and where hustlers strive, identifying like that as an immigrant coming to, you know, America, the barriers that you have to deal with, right, culturally, uh, language wise, right, creating your own subculture from a culture that is America would, for me, instantaneously believe that entrepreneurship was going to run through my veins because we would have been building something. But my father was like a humble dude worked. My auntie was the go-getter. My auntie was the one that was like, man, fuck that job. Like she would work, but then she would always have all these different ideas. So in hindsight, I saw entrepreneurship on her lens, but she never even sat down and broke it down. I don't think any young black child gets that conversation or at least back in the days gets that conversation about ownership gets that conversation about entrepreneurship i think parents want us to kind of live a a good life by you know working for somebody getting education so kind of like that was the idea but it never was me i never was that person that was coming up in my household that believed that working for somebody was going to benefit me in the long run one I don't like taking orders. I don't listen well. <laughs> Two, I have my own mind. I'm too outspoken. And three, working for someone and having the same job. I talked to my partner the other day. I said, dog, you don't get bored of going to the same job for eight hours, maybe 10, and dealing with the same people every fucking day. Like that yeah. shit would be, that would drive me insane. So me having, and then, I have no choice in who I work with, right? Yeah, you just, everybody got hired, so-and-so hired somebody, so, and whoever's next to you is who's next to you. If John and Andrea are the two people I work with at my shift, 
and they can't stand me, I can't stand them, I would still have to, on a Monday and a Tuesday, work with them yeah. unless one of them call off. Where it is now, there's some people that I don't have to flat out work with or I'll be with you in a space, what, two hours? Cool, do it. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Because it's either some collaboration, it's some meeting, it's some training. So I don't really have to deal with people I don't want to deal with. Okay. And that's the power for me of um, independence, entrepreneurship, and ownership. And as well as what – here's a perfect example of what some folks would look at as failure, right? Okay. And I look at as freedom. <laughs> okay. Magic Johnson, okay. right? L.A. Lakers, a general manager. He was there for two uh, years. President of basketball president operations. Of, it was, okay. Yep. The other dude's a general Blink manager. Is the general manager. Okay. President of basketball operation, right? Yep. He no longer was Magic. He was Irving Johnson. Yeah. He was Irving Johnson, the worker, right? He was Irving Johnson, the person that has a boss telling him A, B, and C. He was Irving Johnson, the Laker former great that was uh, now being questioned by Jeannie Buss. Now being scrutinized for his moves by all of the NBA uh, experts, analysts, or even some of the so-called naysayers, right? He was in a position to where he could not fire, hire as he pleased. He had to dictate, uh, conversate, sit in meetings. He couldn't come and go as he pleased, right? I have to be at a job. Like now they're like, well, Magic, he wasn't in the office. (laughs) It's like, whoa, 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 office? Okay, yeah, he, he... Part of the problem was his coming and going as he pleased. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Office. And then, but yeah. as a boss and as Magic Johnson for all the Laker fans, I understand season was horrible. Trust me, I'm a LeBron guy. I wanted the playoffs. What he did is he found, again, Magic. Yeah. He said, this Urban Johnson guy, Urban Johnson guy is not really who I am. I'm Magic. I am the uh, entrepreneur. I am the mogul. Yeah. I am the guy that comes and goes as he pleases, does what he wants. Being put in some kind of frame where you're dictated on how and who you talk to and when you talk to people, it's considered illegal by the rules. Yeah, getting fined for and, just and, supporting somebody. And having to be around people that you really don't really like or folks that you don't really mesh well with, but you have to deal with them for a bigger cause. And at the end of the day, I don't own this. This is not really my thing. Yeah. So if it's not really my thing, I don't have the overall end off say so. So him leaving was him regaining himself to those who just look at it on a way of he's a failure. Oh, Magic Johnson didn't really do what he was supposed to do. I won't take that away from you because he didn't really meet expectations. But the expectation he really truly met was the one for self. He gained back him by... I am going back to be Magic, the entrepreneur, the mogul, the guy that can go on vacation, whatever the hell he pleases, and no one can tell me shit. Yeah. That's me. Most diehard Laker fans, and I know this ain't even about basketball, but I get the the example. Most diehard Laker fans. I've been a Laker fan my whole life. Ain't nobody mad at Magic. Like, like, for, the, like, for real, for real, like most Laker fans I know, ain't nobody mad at Magic. And, and that is a great representation of he spent – he was doing it his way in Michigan – he was doing it his way, showing up to the game with the fur coats on. He was doing it his way when it was showtime. Uh, the whole getting rid of the coach that didn't fit the scheme, even though that coach was a championship winner because he wanted it his way. Uh, you know, trying and stuff. And, and I get that. And I get that that culture like for him now, the, the culture is 
you know, you go out and get yours. Yeah. Magic Johnson is worth over $800 million. This whole idea of you going to tell me when uh, you get mad at me because I wasn't in the office. Yeah. That, yeah, that ain't going to fly with him. And that's, so that's why I'm saying I appreciate the fact of, of saying, you know, uh, that's what I was asking about, like I said, culture. Because I think. And that culture, right? Yeah. That we talk about is a culture that will look at it and not even look at it in a deeper lens the way I looked at it. Yeah. And the way he said it. Yeah, he said, I want to be happy. Exactly. I'm happy now. And I'm happy the way I grind. I'm happy that, yeah, sometimes I have to wake up early. Sometimes I go to bed late. But I'm in control of every time I get up early. And I'm in control of every time I go to bed late. Because the schedule that I've created is a schedule for me. It ain't a schedule that I'm like, damn, I got to wake up hella early because Bob needs me to open up, right? Yeah. It's like I have to wake up hella early because I got this and that to do, right? Oh, I got to go pick up some kids at 2.30. I set that schedule up, even though it might interfere with some other things that I'm doing because I'm like, damn, I should have told them next day. Yeah. I still am in control of that, and I can really call and say, hey, not going to do it today. So that part of me has always been resonated in my soul. That's why when I was a hustler, I did so well at doing it. And it always set me in this idea that working, because as much as people want to, uh, you know, put this stigma on a drug dealer, <laughs> we're all dealing something. <laughs> we're, all, yeah. we're all hustling it's all something. Sales. It's, it's, all it's Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about product and selling it. Supply and, and demand, all thank that you. stuff. Tell me, brother. Yeah. So, that has given me the ability to be an entrepreneur because that's one of my first levels of entrepreneurship yeah. besides me selling baseball cards and, uh, you know, garbage pail kids cards and doing some painting, selling some, you know, drinks on the side. And at first, of course, it was like the Kool-Aid drinks and, you know, little uh, uh, sun kiss packs. And it came to some alcohol when me and my boy stole it. You know what I'm saying? To selling cigarettes and things of that nature. Yeah. Right. I always had had that mentality and I was always able to do multiple things. So that's why moving in a clear direction of creating and owning and, 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 and being able to put my money where my mouth is and doing stuff where not only that it represents the build, but it also helps not only influence, but support young people without having them go through all the frameworks of bullshit that they have to do with regular jobs. I can just tell a kid, yo, fill out this application or come see me and I'll get you to work. So that's my thing. My thing is like, I love the Dame Dashes of the world. You know, I love um, the Will Smiths of the world. You know what I'm saying? And I say Will Smith because those guys embody, um, you know, like that kind of work ethic, right? And the idea, because now work, when we look at Will Smith, it's not only like he's on the the big screen, you know, he's also on like the Netflix uh, uh, movies. He's he's producing, you know what I'm saying? He's getting his kids on. And that big thing was with his kids, because for a lot of people that missed it, like his kids acting career with some people like, oh, it was this, it was that, it was whatever. Uh, You know, that Karate Kid movie was produced by his film company. Yeah. Starring his son. You know, his company was involved in producing the Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah. Co-star and his son. Yeah. You know, uh, even to uh, I Am Legend, his daughter's in it. To the, the Annie remake that uh, Jay-Z's company helped produce and put out, starring his daughter. He had his kids became millionaires on their own. Willow, uh, with my hair back and forth, whatever, getting them set up. They had up. to earn. Yeah, he got, but he got his kids set up to be millionaires separate of him. 
that they have their own companies, the water, the just water that is, him and his son company that they have. Like, like, so setting his kids up is huge. And, and that's why they have these are important to, to address, like creating the culture that it is that we want to have, because a lot of people, you know, we use culture when we, the word, when we talk about music. Yeah. Or like I said, when we have trauma that we try to pass off certain behaviors and saying, oh, that's just, you know, that that's how we are. That's how it goes. But if we want to see the needle move and to see changes in, in what the community looks like and what our family looks like and, and what our just our individual life looks like, you know, Magic had a culture of coming and going as he pleases and, and living his life and doing him. People forget Magic beat AIDS like every day of his <laughs> life. Only Negro that got the cure, right? Yeah. I mean, every day of his life, he's trying to spend it happy. Yeah. You know, and the dude tells me, you beat HIV, you ain't trying to spend your days in an unhappy situation where, you know, 99% of the population has got his same diagnosis would have long since been in the ground. No doubt. You know, Magic trying to spend his days, you know, he, he trying to live his best life and to, to create an environment where that's possible. You know, he works crazy hours, but they're the crazy hours, much like what you're saying, it's the crazy hours that he sets. There you go. You know, uh, instead of being an environment where, you you know, people are telling you this, doing that, whatever. And and he's just like, I I ain't got time for that. And, you know, I took a pay cut to come take this gig. I'll make make more money running my businesses than I make, you know, repping this brand. And so I I think that these things that we like to have happen in the community that we want to have happen in our lives, it's going to come down to the culture that not necessarily we came up in, but the culture that we create around us. Yes, sir. Like the mentality and the mindset that we have for, for what we want to create. And I think just as we've got great examples uh, like yourself, all the young people that you come in contact with, and even the grown adults who see what you're doing and say, I can do that too. I am highly influential. <laughs> Folks want to deny it. They want to knock it. They want to say a lot of things about what Barry does and who Barry is. I have highly influenced the community that I've been um, able to to work in and I've been able to celebrate and have been able to grow in in the city of Sacramento. I appreciate uh, doors being open for me as far as um, a community allowing me to, you know, set my, my, my um, you know, set my legacy, you know, and, and, and do things that I could only dream and imagine. But, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I know most times folks know what it is and they don't want to give the credit, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. It's like I, I think know, there's I think there's a good percentage because, because, of people that because, appreciate you. Uh, yeah, whatever. But and I do appreciate all the people that appreciate me. But what the Queen sat there and said about how um, progressive Sacramento was. And this is a sister from New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And breaking down the things that she said. Shots out the dub plates um, that we, you know, uh, uh Jamaican cuisine spot, dope food, dope ambiance, just a beautiful spot. So, you know, we definitely supporting our people. Here in Sacramento. Here in Sacramento, on West El Camino, for the folks that don't know, right across the street from the old Walmart. Um, when she said that, it made me smile because I know what Sacramento was when I got here. Okay. And I know what Sacramento has become when I was able to be at a bigger platform to be able to move some of that. I'm not saying I'm the only person not saying that, but I've definitely been one of the most um, sought out, most recognizable faces pushing the movement, the way it's pushed that's opened up other doors for folks to be able to, um, you know, be who they want to be in their, in their blackness and in their excellence. And I've kind of been like the, 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 the train track to lead folks 
into this kind of nuance of this blackness here in Sacramento. And that's just a reality. You know what I'm saying? I was able to say a lot of different things and move a different way and practice what I preach and, and lead by action. So that's how I that's how I roll. That's how I want everybody to roll. You know, let's let's get our thoughts and ideas into action. Let's practice that. OK, so that's so sticking with that. So when you've got people like yourself who are moving forward and in, in changing culture, because yeah. when you show up one way and it's one way. And then you got to put some stuff in position to kind of re-steer the ship, you know, to, to get it moving to a different direction. You're coming to and you're breaking old culture and traditions to create new ones. Yeah. So what would you say? So for people who are in Sacramento, for people who are anywhere in America or, or whatever, when the culture that's pre-existing is not conducive to the cause, like when you've got when you show up and focuses on some B.S., when you show up in the current state, the current culture of where you are is not in the direction that say it needs to be. We talk about the streets don't love you. Yeah. We talk about ain't, ain't no love in the town and, and folks is out there out for self. Folks is lying to get what they're trying to get to, trying to manipulate, trying to, to, to maneuver for how they want for what they want. Yeah. So when you show up to a place and that's not the culture and you show up to a place where the folks are shady and doing wrong and, and all that. How do you start to move that needle? Um, I think you find some like-minded people that is ready to work with you. Um, your differences can be your differences. Uh, but at the same time, you kind of practice what brings you to this place. And I think that I've dealt, I've been able to do that with a lot of people. And then as we navigate to where we need to be, we kind of separate and disperse. Some folks I've been able to kind of work with, like my brother, like yourself. Um, but our dynamic, the way we work is... You are not trying to be me and I'm not trying to be you. Yeah. And we respect each other's differences and we expect each other's, um, you know, different philosophies and ideas. And we have a, 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 a brotherhood where I don't have to worry about Jermaine ever talking about me. I don't have to worry about Jermaine bashing me or um, second guessing me or um, slandering me with somebody else or on social media like a lot of people like to do or to give me subliminals. I know that you're going to sit there and you're going to talk and discuss anything that you have on your chest with me face to face as men. You know what I mean? And at the same time, my antics <laughs> don't affect you because at the end of the day, I'm not sleeping in bed with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. like, okay, uh, you know, I'm not bothered by Barry because um, uh, he doesn't get under my skin that way because it, none of the things he's doing is directly affecting me. Yeah. So I think that when you're on a mission about building and, and showing folks something that they've never seen before, I think that you don't really get caught up in all, all the hype. And I believe in the beginning of it all, folks cheer you on and they celebrate it. But yeah. it's almost like when you get to the not to say the finish line but when you start getting some acclaim start moving a little bit the movement starts becoming well damn this motherfucker's getting a lot more attention than i am getting like damn he's working harder and he's more consistent yeah. than i've ever been and your okay. things are a conversation okay, but, but here's something well, I don't, I, to keep the thought if you can i think that that's a very hard thing for people to do for people to stand beside somebody and say that, okay, we're, we started at this race at yeah. the same time. Or hell, even if I started running before him. And I caught up. The fact that he <laughs> caught and passed me yeah. is for no other reason than he outworked me. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people who can do that. 
Like, I think most people, they have to start putting together the conspiracy theory of all these scenarios that put you ahead of them. Yeah. It can't just be he got up before me. He went to bed after me. Yeah. He, and he tried harder in the time that he was up. Yeah. So when you start running into people who who don't and I, and I, I appreciate what you said, because I, I think we, where we are different is fine. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what makes us great. Yeah. Our differences make us great. And that's what I think that some people, you know, we talk about the oppressor, but black people are some of the most oppressive people in their own culture. Yeah. We really don't have this real brother and sisterhood as much as we uh, proclaim it. That's why we have to always say black love. Black excellence, support black businesses. I mean, we're the only culture that says that. Pretty you much. don't hear no Asian say support Asian businesses. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Support Asian love. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Support we don't, <laughs> um, Indian um, love. You don't yeah. hear that, but it's our culture that's so discombobulated and so separated from what is culture that we have to go back to that because we've been so in tune to what white people have marginalized us with, and as well as what our behavior methods are because. We've not been trained. We haven't been thought. Like literally, I have. I am Haitian, yeah. right? And I've really been indoctrinated in not only just white culture but African American culture. Yeah. That ain't even mine. But when I was growing up, it was like, yo, I don't even want to touch Haitian. I don't even want to speak the language. I don't yeah. because it was never brought to me like, yo, this is who you are. And the acceptance of my fellow African Americans to be like, oh, okay, that's dope. It was almost like, nigga, you're weird. <laughs> okay, so, so stay right there. So firsthand, what would you say is a glaring difference between Haitian culture and African-American culture? Because in this country, black is black. So we don't like in the system, you don't get there's not the differentiation. Like they'll just they'll look at you and look at me. and We two black guys in the car. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what would you say? So you recognize that there was a difference. What would you say is the most glaring difference? Because if your dad's from Haiti, he's coming with straight Haitian values, yeah. Haitian culture, yeah. straight. Yeah. So, so obviously what your home life and then once you leave the house, there's a difference. Yeah, I think the biggest difference that that kind of creates the wedge okay. is not the culture, because I think there's a lot of um, similarities between African-Americans and Haitians. Yeah. Right. But language I really believe that's the language barrier, right? Okay. The simple fact that I'm speaking this different dialect, right? And you're speaking a language that I can understand, but you can't understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. Like I hear you, but you don't hear me. Exactly. So um, that and kind of, you know, Haitians, except for like I'm a, me and my brother, like a rarity, we look different than the, the normal African-American, right? We okay. kind of look different, you know what I mean? And of course, some of us come up with our accent, you know, if we're from the homeland, yeah. um, you know, and if we're from the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? You, yeah. know, you hear that that accent. So it's almost kind of like this language barrier, but that's kind of like the same barrier that effectively creates that kind of, uh, you know, that, that look and stare at somebody that doesn't speak your language, yeah. right? That you kind of like, I don't really know who this person is. I really don't like this person. Why? Because you don't know and understand them and you can't speak it. So I think that is one of the main glaring um, things that I could see that creates that that automatic wedge. So if someone's not talking like me and I'm around these people every day and they're making fun about my own language and I'm not congregating the same people that speak my language because 
for whatever reason, we moved from the East Coast away from my family to the West Coast, even though there was a good Haitian, um, you know, congregation. Yeah, there's not there a lot of Haitians in California. There, there was like a kind of like I, it, it was mid to low grade. I, I don't know if the plan, the plan was to shake it up and keep it going, yeah. but it didn't work that way. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? So, you know, we got, we got stuck and I, I got stuck in trying to figure out, am I, I going to be Haitian? Um, am I going to be uh, simulate to white or am I going to be ingrained into this African-American culture that my father had, didn't want anything to do with? He looked at all my little black friends as ghetto hood rats. Okay. See, okay. So maybe the better question would be: Is is your father's difference between Haitian and African American? Because if you growing up into it, you know. So when he looked at when he was saying, there's a big difference between you and them. Probably because he would probably look at it like they weren't hard workers. They didn't. There was no values. They had no real values. Like there's no uh, the men were valueless you know, okay. in a sense. You know what I mean? Uh, my dad. That all he did was work, you know, and I mean, he got up in the morning, it was consistent, and that's what I love about him, you know. That's what I could say that I mirrored from him is like that consistency, like, all right, Negro work, though I would have probably never did what he did, you know what yeah. I'm saying, but that's just what he was, right? He was a gentleman, you know, he was always a sharp dresser, you know, he, he kept himself up, like, yeah. he he was a man's man for in, in every any every set of the way yeah but like you know with african-americans i guess you would say just especially during the time of crack 80s man you see guys look <laughs> you know what i mean it was a little different yeah, yeah. you know i i can tell who my father is like some of the other guys they just the other fathers they kind of look just like me dressing like me yeah. you know you could tell my father compared to someone else's father yeah yeah my father's from alabama and they came out to california in the 50s and similar yeah. like like there was a difference between you know where you came from like there was a you know there was a great migration of black people from the south to the north yeah, sure. but there was a secondary migration out west like it was really the wild wild west there's a lot of people who left back east up north down south and they said there's opportunities in california uh get there and the people act a little better like so they thought. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the campaign. Like, if if you get out there, most of them, you know, California ones, they're a generation removed from some of the BS. So uh, make that move. So I, I get what you're saying. Like that difference in that hardworking uh, mentality and mindset was was definitely prevalent in my uh, my grandfather, my father, and and, and my uncles. Because I, yeah, I think we, what we're talking about, like I said, is is the culture. Because that's that's huge. The behavior of what you think is okay. You know, when we talk about culture, that's basically what that, that, that is. Like the behavior of what you do, what is acceptable and what is not. Yeah. Like what you think is the norm and what you think is perfectly all right. Like there was an era in the 40s and the 50s that slapping your woman if she, you know, got mouthy was, was culture. It was acceptable. You had the honeymooners, but dude was always talking about, you know, Alice, you know, bang, boom, you know. To the moon, to the like moon. like he he on primetime TV talking about getting domestic with his wife, and for the culture that was normal. The idea of slapping your woman was was, was normal behavior, though domestic violence is is a traumatic experience. Yes, and so when we talk about like I, I was asking you personally because you, uh, your your family lineage and then moving around. Yeah. So as we look at the culture now, the state of Black Americans continuum. You know what what what. Of chaos, a continuum <laughs> of chaos, man. You know, so like, so, so you know, are trying to adjust and compensate for a traumatic culture, wow. for traumatic behaviors. 
where on on one breath we'll sit there and praise the life and accomplishments and steps of uh, our brother Nipsey Hussle who yeah. passed away, where social media is flooded. More and more each day, more clips and audio and videos coming about about, you know, now they're circulating how he was up on cryptocurrency yeah. and about how, you know, the financial investments, the the property owning, the education. And we're going to be more, doing some things on cryptocurrency as well with yeah. some classes. And you get so you get all this at the same time and talking about bringing about the truth of the L.A. gangs, about finally getting that connection, finally coming together. So you're like, OK, the needle is starting to move a little bit on, on culture and then at the same time, you hear the stories about people selling fraudulent tickets to the Nipsey Hustle uh, service. What any, when it, whenever anything happens, you have to understand the Negro or someone is going to try to find a profit. Yeah, you know we've watched it over and over again. And the, some of the latest stuff was, who would have ever thought Colin Kaepernick would find a way to get paid literally off the pain and the anguish of victims throughout police brutality with the police brutality yeah. happening, right? Who would ever have thought like Nike would get behind and support this activist movement, right? Yeah. Um and everyone has to earn, so you don't really, you know, have any drawback too much per se. But when you watch people, right, and you see the sense of greed in every level to where there's like literally no honor. Like someone found a hustle in this. Yeah. Even though you think it, sometimes you don't have to pull the trigger on the idea, right? Yeah. Even though you All think it, you don't have to be like, ah, you know, we could probably do that. I mean, yeah, that's a good good idea, but is it really right? I mean, is it really smart? Yeah. I went down to the Nipsey Hustle Memorial as I was in LA visiting and I saw all the different currencies uh, 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 of, of things happening, right, um, in real time. And for the fact that that person or persons, and hopefully they're not a person of color, that's doing that, not only shits on a legacy, but it just shows you how culturally dysfunctional we have really become as a society to where someone who would have probably had a regular funeral, right? It would yeah. have been still big, but it wouldn't have been stable yeah. uh, center funeral. 25 mile long procession. You, you, you now are going to try to utilize his death as your hustle and your come up. Like what and where do we finally say, damn it, homie, like that shit just not G. Like, are you sitting around with your partners? Y'all come up with the scheme and be like, yo, Money we're going to go ahead and give free Free tickets we get and we're going to sell them for $400. Like, it, it, listen, if it's not a funeral, I get it. Like, I remember um, folks were selling Common, uh, Common and J. Cole tickets when they came and performed out here in Sacramento for this free Imagine uh, oh, yeah, okay, Justice okay, yeah, concert, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Like I'll give you that, even though it's yeah. still twenty percent of the population doesn't know that it's free. So yeah, so you want to do that? But this is a Negro's death, dog. Yeah. He, I mean, you're not gonna give the freaking money to the family. You're not gonna give it to the kids. You're not gonna put it in a trust fund. He's like, like hit my come demo, on, fam. Hit my cash app. You're really <laughs> selling a funeral ticket that's for free for four hundred fucking bucks. Yeah. So when you come across, so so you're talking about you know cultural behaviors and stuff. 
you know, the money over everything culture. It for some folks, there's no line. For some folks, that's true. That's some just folks, life. Yeah, for some folks, it's not. Nah, it's money that's over survival. everything. Yeah, it's money over everything, and and that and it shouldn't be like that. That traumatic place that you're coming from, if, if that's the mentality, you know, we got. But does we, it really become trauma? Well, no, uh, or just full grief. I think you, not the cart before the horse. I think to be in that situation, usually there's some stuff going on. To be in a situation to where you're like, this sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. Usually you're not doing that if you're in a place of where you're okay. Uh-huh. That's not okay thinking. Like that's not healthy thinking. Like like you, there's something going on with you. Yeah. It, 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 it's like this, you you got something happening. You got some addiction you got to take care of. Uh, you got somebody waiting for you on some money. Uh, you got some real struggles that you on fourth and long trying trying to to hail mary and pull a hat trick. Like like you 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 ain't all right yeah. if, if if that's where, where you're at. And you know we have in, in within our population we have folks where where the culture is. By any means necessary for all the wrong reasons. And that's kind of led to our detriment. I mean, when we kind of constantly expose ourselves with greed being the option, the dollar bill being the thing that will lead us to selling out our own family. Yeah. Right. You know, how do you build from that? Right. When you just know. And that's why the Negroes have not been able to build the way we need to build, because the niggas who have a lot of wealth that have consumed it by the great the great talents, the luck of the draw, right, for their athletic ability, those Negroes didn't do what Nipsey Hussle was able to do in a short period of time, right? Yeah. They just take their monies and they uh, you know, kind of floss in front of us, like ball out, nah, 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 you don't got my money, right? And then when they crash and burn, it's like, well, please feel sorry for me. Yeah. But you know, we're looking at him like or her, and like, well, you didn't really do anything for us to feel sorry for. So you have individuals that will sell out their whole community just to get a little bit of of that feeling of power. You know, get that monies and, and, and be able to floss in front of us, be able to to shine and be able to bling in front of us. And it all means nothing. It all comes to a culture that is addicted to the dollar. Right. They're addicted yeah. to a, a a thing that, first of all, has a bunch of slave um, owners on it. Right. And, and as well, slave owner baseball cards, as well as we have died, not only in a physical sense, but in a mental sense. A heavy price by just contributing all of our um, come up for money. Like we don't care about spirituality. We don't. We don't care about um, you know mental growth. We don't care about relationships. We care about the money. We care about what about me? What about this? What about it? Doesn't that matter about anything else surrounding me? As long as I got mine, and that's a sick society right there. So when we're when we're in this this space to where folks is out for self. Either because I got it and I want to keep it, or you got it and I want it, um, or there's just, it's me against the world. Like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do for me and F you and everybody who, who goes with me. Is there a place 
is it for the whether it should be honor amongst thieves? Because in, in the mindset of money over everything, like I'll do something completely despicable, like sell free, you know, fake tickets to to a funeral. We got these dudes who were doing wrong, who who have absolutely no problem with selling folks out <laughs> for freedom. Because you know we got we got the other dude out here on the other coast from from your native land, you know, Mister Six Nine, <sighs> Trey what? Trayway, <laughs> you got the story of Takashi, who was faced with damn near seventy years for for you know multiple counts of federal time. He was supposed to be done. He's supposed to be a rap. Uh, there's talks that he could possibly be home as soon as September because he rolled over on everybody, and to the point to where now there's only a few guys left that if they all take plea bargain deals, there's no reason to go to trial anymore. Because every member, all nine people who he named out, finger pointed and got brought in, if they all take plea bargains, there's no reason to go to trial. And if his attorney is pushing that, if there's no reason to go to trial, that they hit him with time already served and that he's fulfilled his obligation by bringing, helping the, the, the state bring everybody to justice. So he might, so he should go ahead and be able to come home. So now we talk about a culture of folks who are looking at like, yeah. He beat the, he, if this works out the way he's planning, he beat the system. There's folks. But out did he really beat no, the system? But I'm saying there's folks out there who will look at him as a hero. Like the culture of the come up is he did all the dirt that everybody was doing. His hands was just as dirty. Yeah. And he's gonna come home because he was willing to sell everybody out. It's going to sell everybody out. Now, I mean, like, I mean, like, if somebody's looking at him like this dude was willing to sell out everybody. Roll over on everybody, and he'll get to come home. And he was a part of all the chaos. And he was a part of all that. And if people don't aren't one hundred percent sure on Takashi Six Nine, why it's important is because the gang that he's affiliated with, that Treyway Treyway, <laughs> is uh, one of the major movers of fentanyl throughout ah, New York and New Jersey. That's what this is about. That's what it, this about. is not about gang violence amongst black people. It's fentanyl is killing middle class and upper middle class white kids across the nation. Yes, sir. And so that's why they, they're after these dudes. They don't do not give two F's about these dudes screaming tree, Treyway and whatever <laughs> whatever streets they're claiming in New York. It's about the movement of fentanyl throughout the United States. That's what they're here for. And and so you got a dude who will look up to them. So the culture of you know, snitching is winning. Oh no, the culture of snitching is winning most definitely. And the fact that, um, you know, going back to the Nipsey Hustle thing, there's so many folks are saying that this guy was a snitch that was moving that killed Nipsey. And I don't know if it was allegedly that guy. I don't know. Yeah. But if it was, I remember back in the day, a snitch would be in a ditch. Snitches get stitches. And they would be in the ditches. Ditch, and, then, and then on top of that, if they were snitching, they for sure wasn't going to be in the neighborhood. They should. They would be. You can't come back else. home. Yeah. Uh, you you got to be in Alabama, North Dakota, where nobody fucking knows you. Yeah. You know. And now the reality is, is that we live in a culture, and this is not for me as a civilian saying that you should go ahead and kill a bunch of snitches. But I just remember in a day that that just wasn't allowed. It wasn't tolerated on any level. Like my dude Snoop Dogg said, "If you can't do the uh, time, don't do the crime." You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And that reality, what is it? Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. <laughs> yeah, he said, don't do it. I was, I, and that was a dope song because at the end of the day, that's the truth. So if this guy gets out, and then he turns around and has a dope career, or 
a, a, a kind of redemption career. Yeah. Or he was able to go or on. Or even a, just able to live. Or, no, no, well, just, was, just, just prosper. Yeah, 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 exactly. Go on a radio run yeah. where we want to hear his story. Like, hell no. Doing the Vlad TV interviews. No, like, the, no. Doing... Like, that shouldn't. That, no, it's like literally this clown created beefs, created this macho kind of like uh, uh, image that kids bought into. Yeah. The youngsters bought into the bullshit. So it created a caveat of other artists like him to be trolls. To where trolling now became a thing. Trolling can get you hurt. And the reality that you guys, guys like 6ix9ine who told like they're real gangsters and are faker than a, 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 a $5, you know what I'm saying, bill. Counterfeit bill, of course. Yeah. You have him moving around as he's this god gangster. It it really creates this imagery that fools the youngsters to think that they can move just like that. And the reality is they can't move like that at all. And it will be a travesty and street justice if this dude leaves, gets on uh, the airwaves with the DJ Academics. And tries to say, look, here's my story. No, we know your story. Oh, we know he's on You're every faking. station if he gets out. Nah, he shouldn't be. He's on You're every faking. Station. No one should interview him. You're faking. You created a lot of chaos. You got a lot of people hurt. You you bragged about shit that you was never about. You did the dirt. And then now you're pointing the fingers as if you didn't know in your right mind what you was doing. All that shit is corny as shit to me, man. It's just so, like the reason why I stress that when it goes into the culture is if he beats this, and let's just say all that works out and he's home by Christmas. That'd be crazy. All that stuff he was talking about, how can nobody touch me? Can nobody do this? That will inspire and taint the well even more of an entire generation of people who think this is how we're supposed to move. Yeah. So when it comes to to doing the real work and to building within the community and to try to make stuff happen, when this is what you're going up against. When you got kids, it was like, nah, nah, nah. You get money by any means necessary. Nah, nah, nah. Snitching is the business. Like, if you get, you get them before they get you, yeah. like, it, it, it's nah. He's winning. We talk about he's a snitch. We talk he's a rat. Yeah, he's a rat at the house. <laughs> <laughs> he's a snitch sleeping in his own bed tonight. Like, when that's what you're battling up against. Because there's people out there who are trying to do the work in their city, and the violence is spiking through the roof. There's people who are trying to do work in their city and drugs are just running rampant through the neighborhood. You know, trafficking, pimping, prostitution, all time high. Twelve year olds getting scooped and up. And then you and got cowards like this that's promoting the shit. So when they're like, I'm trying and I'm hitting this wall, I'm trying. Drugs keep coming in. I'm trying. This is the mentality of the kids coming up that I'm trying to save. And they cut my throat just as soon as cross the street. Yeah. For somebody who goes through, and I say you as opposed to us, because you the, the 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 workload ratio is a huge. You put in way more miles and, and minutes than I do, uh-huh. so I'm not even saying we do the same level of work. That's yeah. why I'm asking you as opposed to saying us for anybody listening. Yeah. What would still make you get up every day to keep fighting when you know every day ten people are getting <laughs> up to push against you? Oh man. Because there's folks out there who, who who need some kind of encouragement, who need a reason to just, who they don't just say, you know what, I could be doing something else. They could pull a magic. I'd just rather be happy. Ten losses, but one victory makes it worth it. And I know the ratio is ugly, but ten losses 
and one victory makes it worth it because if I'm able to change one person's life, my job is done. And as long as I'm able to maintain my integrity, continue to build my legacy, like the thing that I'm so proud about is my daughter's name is good because dad's name is good. You know what I mean? And people, folks can say whatever they want to say, but she doesn't have to look around or, 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 or you know, have to feel some kind of way when someone says her last name and say, oh, say, oh you're that's your daddy. Oh, yeah, you're your, good. Your, your dad's Barry Axius. It's like she gets to lift her head up a high. Like, yeah, because I've, I've left that. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's something I've always prided myself with, even with my father, even though, you know, me and him didn't get along on a lot of levels, you know, but I've exceeded any expectation that they probably had for me and doing it the way I felt I needed to do it for my own life. And when you have so much going against you, it's those victories that you kind of lift up and you um, constantly pour into and you empower more or less than the defeats because the defeats are a part of the process, right? Yeah. Failure is what it is. And only person that can change a person is a person that wants to say, I want to change or say, I don't want to change. It becomes a thing to where I look at everything. It's like, well, my friend, it's on you. But if you want to navigate and, and, and make it a better way, I can help you. I got some tools that will be great for your life and be beneficial in the long run. So my reality is always looking at the ratio of if I can influence that one person, put that spark put that battery in that one person's back and they can kind of generally navigate and be successful. I've done my job. And I think that these are, that's a, a, an important piece of information for folks to take with them. Cause these are the type of conversations that, that, you know, we, we need to make sure that we address. You gotta, you're fighting an uphill battle pretty much on the regular, regardless of what you do. Yeah. If you're walking a straight and narrow, or if you're, uh, got some dirt under your nails, you're going to meet resistance. The culture and the people that you surround yourself with, will be key in kind of how that plays itself out. And if you're one of the people who's battling who's battling the uphill battle, that you, you, you're trying to do right, and it just seems like everybody keeps trying to hit you with doing wrong, I, I think that that is good. That you know, If you can get that one win, then you got one win. It, it wasn't 10 losses. You got a, a win is a win. Because uh, we got people out there who are willing to say and do whatever to get whatever it is that they're trying to do. We even got folks going as far as to lying on on grand juries. Ooh. We got people going as far as to holding uh, press conferences Ooh. and lying. We got people out there uh, sitting, on, sitting on the couch with Oprah, just saying whatever it is that they need to say slander in the moment camp. for whatever reason. And when that happens, you know, when the slander hits and, and the defamation of character hits, um, it's hard to come back from. What, even what, 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 why is it over said anything? Because we go in there, we're about to go there yeah. with the whole Michael Jackson, Never Never Land yeah. doc. Why is it over said anything? Because she went out there. Now I'm not going to question her motivation. Okay. I'm not. I don't know if somebody had a, had a hand in her back or somebody or, or she had a again. What we talk about the check. Yeah, so so I'm saying so I don't know if she if she just was like they they put enough zeros in front of her for some shoot or this was leveraging something else she wanted to do whatever because sometimes to get stuff moved you know uh, you know you move this over here we'll move that over there we'll meet in the middle uh, but Oprah co-signed that that uh, leaving Neverland docu documentary uh, by interviewing the, the the two folks 
who who were really the, the major uh, finger pointers at Michael. The two ones who were involved. I don't know. I don't have the names offhand. But these are the these are two of the young boys who who had accusations against Michael back when he was alive. Who took the stand and said Michael Jackson never touched me. This is in when he was alive. They stood on the trial. They stood in front of, you know, their parents, their family, swore on a Bible, recognizing the state that they lived in, that Michael Jackson never touched me. Fast forward, Michael is deceased, and there's a check on the line. They're standing saying, Michael Jackson touched me. Oprah interviewed these folks and more or less co-signed this documentary. Since then, the creators of the documentary have said they acknowledge the inconsistencies in the stories. There's also been people who've come out who said that in the timeline that <laughs> that they were giving, addressing like what the Neverland was, and Michael took us on the roller coasters and this, that, whatever. There's a lot of celebrities, and people forget Michael Jackson was so big. Everybody came out to Neverland. There's all these people who've been coming out saying, no, Michael Jackson didn't even have the roller coaster yet the year you're saying he did this to you <laughs> on the roller coaster. Like these things came three years after the date that you're so all these discrepancies, the creators of the documentary are saying we acknowledge the discrepancies. So 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 hold on real quick. So I guess this documentary didn't go as good as the R. Kelly documentary. Is that what we're saying? I think what's happened is is uh is good no. Well because first <laughs> off, well for two things. One, the love for Michael far exceeds the the, the love. love for Robert well, I mean, Sylvester and Kelly. A, and there's a freaking video of R. Kelly's. Well so I mean so so just the love factor uh, Twelve play don't, don't compete with Thriller, so either. so the tidal wave to 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 completely push back Michael Jackson would have to be insane. You got to move the planet. No, you have to. So, you, so, you have to have some real. You have to have a video tape evidence. Uh, Michael, yeah. you have to have a video of Michael Jackson pinning down a special needs boy, pulling pouring Jesus juice down his throat while touching him with the hand with the glove on it. Yeah. Like you got to have some concrete evidence. So in any event, facts. Uh, so since the the creators of the documentary have now said we admit there's discrepancy. So how the fuck can you admit something, slander a man's name, knowing damn well we're a part of this Me Too movement and this sensitive, uh, 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 you know, kind of world we live in now that folks will just take the lie and run with it and no one will care about the truth because you have to prove that what you have said. Michael Jackson was on trial again. Well, so now they're going to apologize and what? We forget be forgiven they put the video they put the documentary out. so here's the thing so when it comes to the creators of the documentary they have to to do their due diligence on the information that's provided by the people who come out if if i was to do a documentary about you and you told me in 2009 you was on the road with so and so and such and such and this this and this happened if you can show me that you had a relationship with this person like y'all were actually on the road for a little bit and the date seemed like this is something that could happen. If I said, look, I investigated. I asked a couple of people who he said were there. They either didn't get back to me or they said, eh, maybe that can be. I can sit there and say I did my due diligence on fact checking what you told me. Mm. Now, when it comes out to being slander, I'm not the one who's slandering. Whoever told us, whoever's up there telling the story did. So the creators of the documentary is almost like saying, we rode with them because they had enough inside information to at least seem credible to have inside information. They were in Neverland. They saw behind the scenes stuff like that's all documented. So now they're saying, you know, we acknowledge that there's some discrepancies that we've gotten new information about the story. So they've already they've already won. The creators of the documentary have already won. They've already been cashed out. And if they don't ever make if they don't ever make a home movie again, they've won. 
So now for for Oprah, who co-signed all that stuff, who hasn't said shit, and helped try to put a, a nail in the grave. So what she's now has since is removed the her 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 involvement. She's removed her it her interviews with these people who were involved. She's taken her steps away of saying that I don't want no piece of this anymore. Though the damage against Michael has been done. So we talk about like the the this culture and these conspiracies and people out to do whatever they want. Somebody tried to come up by taking down Michael. Like you, you were willing to defame a man, slander a man's name for one of the most horrific things you can do, being you know being a child molester. Bro, that's that's for career the suicide. For the check. That's career suicide. That's life suicide. And that dude's been in his grave. And what they try to do is they seize the moment where R. Kelly was getting drugged through the mud. Well, Bill Cosby already got his freaking uh, death certificate by saying, guess what? We're going to finally come out and bring this Michael Jackson thing to light and we're going to ostracize him. And it didn't work. It backfired. Yeah. And there's folks out there who are constantly trying to get it. I mean, these these boys, these dudes, I ain't calling boys. These are grown ass men. These, these dudes who, who lied on the stand. I, I said we, when we first address it, they lie. They're liars. Either they lied on the stand when they said Michael never touched him. Or they lied to get the check after they're saying at later in life. And more and more information, because more and more people are like, you you know, when you talk about somebody that high profile, it's not hard to find people who know stuff. And so, yeah, like uh, Lionel Richie's family, like all these different people coming out talking about, nah, man, I, I was there the same summer. Like, there's no way. <laughs> like, the biggest thing that they were talking about. But why would Oprah take not only the check, but what was she thinking? Well, see, this is where we go into the culture of money may not be what you need. Because people got to remember, too. So Oprah had the Did she number- just want a big story? Well, no, here's the thing. Oprah had the number one store show while she was working that way. Oprah decided to pull her show off of stop doing her show on network TV to pu- pu- push her own network. A failing Salute network. To that. A failing network, network, though. She ended up selling her show to like the History Channel that, that, that bought her own network. Magazine failing subscriptions. Though Oprah is still a very powerful person on this planet, she got a billion dollars, whatever. I don't know what Oprah's 2022 goals are. I don't know what Oprah's trying to do trying in to 2025. Michael Jackson. That may, hey, you may have to rob Peter to pay Paul. There might be something that she wants to do that they need a powerful cosign wow. to get done. So I like I think with Oprah, I don't think it was money, but I think there was something that she got for that. Wow. You know, I don't think it's coincidence that she got Michael and Gail got Kells. Oh yeah, that was that was a tandem. That was you know what I'm saying? Like I don't think that that's dinner, sheer coincidence. They're having dinner, celebrating everything. Oh, they high fiving, stabbing. Not high fiving now. Gail is being celebrated. Probably going to get another big check for some renewal on her a TV contract. And now Oprah Winfrey's hiding it. I just don't I said, understand I just, why. Like I said, it depends on, on what, what, what the chess move like, was. Why are you hiding? Oprah done, done enough that she plays chess, not checkers. So I'm sorry. Well, she played a bad move on this one. It depends. Like I said, it depends on what she's trying to do. It, it's not going to be what she does in 2020. It's something she's trying to do in like 2025. Huh. Let's move these pieces over here. Take, take the blowback for the next couple years. Regroup, move in silence for what you're trying to power. Don't be surprised if you see a power move out of Oprah Winfrey in the next five to six years. I'm happy that the um, Neverland documentary has kind of gotten more flack because we didn't really need another uh, great one to fall a victim in his death yeah. to uh, 
the unforgiving minds and voices and words of Johnny Public. We just didn't need another one to go down. Another I knew it. Another told you so. A person can't even fight from his grave. He has everybody else kind of, you know, trying to defend him. We just didn't need another situation like that for another iconic figure in a black community to take an L. We just didn't need another L. Yeah. So um, I rather have Oprah take the L because, of course, like you just said, she can bounce back. Yeah. She can bounce back. But we didn't need Michael Jackson. That, to me, would have been um, devastating, right? Especially if there was actual... Um, concrete evidence right and this is not saying that he's never done anything with any other child i don't we don't know that we know yeah. what i'm saying but in reality we did not need it to be this situation with these guys that have already turned around and said no but now they've turned in this documentary and said yes they've lost all kind of credibility even if they were victims um you wouldn't know uh what's true or what's a lie and it's shameful because it stops other victims for wanting to come out because they'll be looked at as a, a clout chaser and um you know the victims won't be taken seriously and that's always been an issue when you make false claims on people when you know there's other real people that need the support of the community need the support of media need their story to be told it, 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 it's a real funny and weird thing and again as you say culture the culture of us what Chasing the dollar bill. Yeah, because we need to make sure that the, 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 the culture of what we want to live, what we want to see happen, that it has to be something that we practice. And that understanding that if you want to change the culture of where you are and change the dynamic of what's going on around you, it's going to be an uphill battle. There are people out there who are doing it for the check. They're out there doing it for themselves. Some of them are just doing it as, as for something as simply as doing it for the gram. So you got to sit there and, and, and really buckle down for what it is you want to do. It's something we have to address, that we have to live. And uh, definitely something we have to say something about. And for anybody who's still coming for Michael, Michael has got never had any direct evidence. If you got a full tank to come after Michael Jackson, let's start with the proven evidence that we've got on uh, Mick Jagger, on Elvis Presley, on Woody Allen, on a slew of other individuals. Oh, my God. There's a whole lineup, and we don't I'm even talk saying, about it. There's a video, a video of... Uh, Elvis Presley's or uh, Priscilla Presley yeah. talking about vividly their relationship at her age of 14 years old. Yeah, and there's and, and she wasn't the first one. There was a young girl before her and another young girl after her. But we we're, ain't we're talking going, about that. Yeah, we're going to that. Oprah's not that. doing the uh, the documentary on Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, we get into that. So for more start riveting conversation like this, where can folks find you online? Sorry. Barry Axius on Twitter, Barry Axius on Facebook, Barry Axius on IG. And make sure you come check out the Hidden Gems Thrift Store, 2245 Florin Road, Suite 12. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at CEO. This has been the Say Something Podcast. And until next show, Holla. We will holla at you later. Peace.